Hi, and welcome to Fourth Dimensions Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're about to start here with Ryan Johnson. Please, if you are blessed by this ministry, give on our 40 Ministries PayPal account and share with all you know. Tune in. Thanks again. But I, I just I didn't care at the time. You know, I loved the game of basketball, but then unfortunately bad things happened to him. So I just had to stick it out with my football team. And unfortunately our football team this year missed the playoffs, but um, I still can't root for any of them other ones that are in the playoffs. But nevertheless, it's fun just to pick at one another when it comes to sports. Enjoy it. You know, it's a good time of the year to pick and, and just kind of laugh at each other's expense. Life's too short to live it mad, miserable. Come on. Been out of shape. Angry, bitter. Find someone to laugh at. And if you can't find anybody to laugh at, go to Walmart. Just wait. Especially after 10 at night. Somebody's coming in their pajamas. Somebody's coming in a lack of pajamas. And it is just amazing what you will see at Walmart. But learn to smile. Learn to find someone to laugh at. Learn to find joy in life with something or someone. Because it is just incredibly too, too short. Um, we were just, when we checked into the hotel, we flipped on the television for a moment that we're talking about just today. Um, Five individuals were flying to one of the games, and there was a plane crash. And one of the individuals was a 30-year-old news reporter, a sports reporter, and um, she was married. Her father-in-law was one of the assistant coaches on one of the teams. You know, and it just kind of takes you back, and you go, "My gosh, they were just celebrating Christmas the other day, and you know, you're getting prepared for a football game, which is insignificant in the moment. You know, and New Year's is coming around the corner, and then, bam." Life's here. Well, Solomon talked about that. Solomon talked about life is a vapor. You know, it, it, it's interesting because I promise that where I'm at in my life right now, I never thought I would ever be. But man, I got here quick. Come on, brother. It just, it just happened. I promise. Our oldest daughter the other day, uh, she turned 21, and uh, I, I just, I. I promise you it was yesterday we were bringing her home on Christmas Eve because of an ice storm coming through and I remember carrying her in a carrier walking down our sidewalk and kind of slipping a little bit and thinking alright this is your first major responsibility as a father don't mess this up you know and that was yesterday and yet the 23rd of this month she celebrated her 21st birthday and you go what just happened and it's so quick and I, I'm saying all that because I, I was just reminded of a few things. And it, it's, it's easy to allow the world to become a burden, a burden on you so much that you, you lost the ability to smile, mm -hmm. lost the ability to laugh, lost the ability to just say an encouraging word to someone. Sometimes it's just the simplest things. A pat on the back, a good job. Sometimes it's buying somebody a coffee or a or a drink and, and so on and so forth. My wife was sharing a video we were driving up a couple of days ago to visit some family in Alabama. She was sharing a video of a woman that was on social media 
And uh, <clears throat> I don't even know where she was at, to be honest, but she was in a store and she said she felt the Christmas spirit at a gas station, so she bought the lady in front of her a ginger ale. The lady had a ginger ale, so she said, I want to buy, I feel the Christmas spirit. She goes out in the parking lot and she sees a gentleman washing the window of her car. And so she's like, oh my gosh, there's Christmas spirit. She goes out there and she hugs him and talks about how great humanity is during this time of the year. The man looks very perplexed and she realizes it's not her car. <laughs> her car is behind his car and they were the same cars. So she didn't say anything, gets in the vehicle, just busts out laughing and stuff. And she does this video on it and she's rolling, laughing the whole time. But what a great moment. I mean, what a great moment. Even in messing up the ability to laugh and laugh at yourself. You know, it's just, there's just little things. And it's easy because one of, the, one of the most difficult things about faith, when we talk about faith, one of the most difficult things is just the very nature of believing when you cannot see. It's, it's, it's easy, I know, for preachers and, and, and uh, Sunday school teachers and whatever to get up and just tell you to believe. Oh, you just got to believe. You got to believe. You got to believe. But I get it and understand because all, we all got stories. We all got past. We all got journeys. But it is, it is difficult to believe when you have nothing in front of you. It's difficult to believe when you can't see the end of the road. And people are telling you, man, if you can just make it to the end of the road and you can't see it, it's difficult to believe. That's the greatest hindrance of faith because our, our mankind, what we like to do is we like to have logic to everything. But logic is the greatest threat to faith. Amen. Because by definition, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, not yet seen. You know, it's funny, again, there's a meme that went out and a, a, a friend of ours from, from social media shared it and said, y'all pray for my husband. And, you know, that's like, oh, gosh, what's wrong? And then the meme said, he's having a hard time finding me. She was single. She had not had a husband yet. She was saying, pray for my husband. Stay with me. It's not that deep. <laughs> I am officially in Kentucky. Man, this would be rough if we were in Eastern Kentucky. I've been there too. She was saying, I'm single, I don't have a husband. He's having a hard time praying that I get a husband. That's funny. I mean, that's just, that's just reality. But if you're single and you don't have a husband and people are telling you, God's going to send you a man, God's going to give you a man, God's going to do this, and God's going to do it, or God's going to give you a wife, and God's going to do it, and you have no evidence for it, it's like, yeah, right. Whatever. It's tough when the doctor gives you a report that you don't want to hear and then tells you what all you've got to go through to overcome the report. In the midst of that, you have men and women of God saying that God can heal you, God can deliver you, this is going to happen, this and that. But you're going through the emotions. You're going through the toil. Your body's being wrecked. These are difficult things, but this is the interesting thing. Even though they're as difficult as what they are, the Bible is clear. The way we please the Lord, this is so shocking, but we have to remember this. The way we please the Lord is in our faith. Come on. How do we know that? Hebrews 11.6 says this. It is impossible. 
to please God without faith. So when we don't have faith, we're not pleasing to Him. But when we do believe beyond what we can see and have faith, not in necessarily all the time people, because people will let you down. People will disappoint you. Live long enough. Church people will disappoint you. It is work people will disappoint you. Family will disappoint you. People will lie to you. Unfortunately, church people will lie to you. I don't know why that is, but it's, just, it's a part of life. Mankind has flaws. Nobody's perfect. And I'm glad nobody's perfect because I couldn't handle a perfect person. I just, they would just be full of arrogance in my opinion. But no one's perfect. We all got flaws. We all got stories. We all got pain. We all got suffering. We all got things. We all got God. Come on. Come on. We all got a Father. We all got a Son. And we all got a Holy Spirit. Amen. And even if man disappoints me, He never disappoints Come me. Even if man lies to you, mistreats you, abuse you, whatever the case may be, God has never lied to you, nor will ever lie to you. Never abused you or will abuse you. Never mistreat you. You can do some of the most stupidest things that you could possibly dream up. And it's still not enough to disqualify yourself from the love of God. Amen. Now friends and family may turn their back on you and say, I don't love you anymore. I don't want anything to do with you. But God will never stop loving you. Not at any point in your life. That's the crazy thing about it. And here's what God is literally saying to us. I just want you to believe. I want you to believe for the impossible. I want you to believe for the things that I have declared in my word. I want you to believe. Yeah, but I don't know that I can do that. I'm telling you. That's what God's telling you to do. The flip side of believing when you can't see is the trust aspect. You've got to learn how to trust God. If God is not a liar, and God is not a thief, God is not a manipulator, He's not an abuser, then we ought to be able to trust Him. But the problem is, we equivalent the ability to trust based on how we have failed, or people have failed us in trusting them. And because we trust mankind and they failed us, we think that God is going to fail us so we can't trust Him. But faith and trust coincide with one another. They have to work hand in hand. And it's why I'm saying these things because I want you to understand something that I'm not just blowing smoke. These are things I've had to apply in my life. Come on. These are things I've had to deal with. These are things that even in ministry, when I had a pastor, a senior pastor that I served under, he would call different pastors throughout the United States and make up the biggest, boldest lies about me that you could not comprehend. Not only was he doing that, he was getting on my computer and pretending to be me in emails, and social media stuff, sending out stuff and doing all this stuff, trying to set me up in tracks. He failed me. And even after I caught him and presented the information and stuff, I forgave the man, but I don't trust him. And I don't have to trust him because of the decisions that he continues to make. He didn't repent. And he refuses to repent. So I don't trust. I wouldn't do anything with the man because I'm trust. That has nothing to do with forgiveness. But here's the thing. He, at no point in his life or in my life, was he ever my God. Come 
He wasn't the image or the identity of God in my life. That's why even in the most difficult situation, I was not swayed by what he was doing to me or my family because God didn't fail me. God didn't fail me in that midst, even though he did. And I got more stories, even in the church world and outside of the church world, where people have done those things, but we keep grinding the, into the ground and we keep striking the ground because at no point does a person become God to us. He is the great I am. That's right. You're doing good. He's the great I am. He's the way, He's the truth, He's the light, He's the journey, He's the door, He's the bright morning star, He's El Shaddai, He's Yahweh, He's Jehovah, He's Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisarah, and He is everything that I could ever hope for or ever want to be. He is my God. So that's where you have to learn, no matter where you're at in life, you have to learn that He has to be the greatest thing in your life. And even in the midst of the difficult situations. And I'm not saying that you're not going to have pain. I'm not saying that you're not going to cry. I'm not going to say that you're not going to get frustrated. We all get frustrated. We all get mad. We all want to hit things. Yeah. Hopefully not someone. But things. There's, there's issues. I get it. The Bible even says be angry and sin not. There's a time when you can be angry and not step in stupid. Come on. There, there's nothing wrong with having emotions. It is wrong when we allow the emotions to become the God of our life. Mm. And now our decisions are based off of what they've done to us. Mm. Or how that shifted into this and that. I'm saying that, I promise I'm going somewhere in Scripture in just a moment. But, you know, I was thinking because this is the 28th. You know, we're here at the tail end of, of 2019. And we're fixing to step into this year of 2020. Which, honestly, I never thought I would ever even be here years ago. It just seemed so far away. Now we're here. You know, we survived Y2K. And uh, <laughs> how did we do that? You know, but nevertheless, you, you know, you're here. And I know we're fixing to get on this onslaught of these cheap prophetic words where everybody's going to be like, the Lord's saying clear vision and perfect vision and focus and all that and everything. And and I get all that. There's some of them I truly believe from God. Some of them I think they just coughed them up because they had a coughing spell. But nevertheless, I'm not their judge. I just I just discern some things. And um, I, I know that this year everybody's going to say all this and stuff and everything. But but here I came with a purpose tonight because one of the things that I want to try to do is I want to try to pray for as many people as possible tonight. Because one of the things that I've learned is a couple of years ago, the Lord started really convicting me. Now, I know we don't like to hear the word conviction because we don't think that God would ever convict us because we have a tendency to call conviction condemnation. God will convict you. God will test you. God, I love what you said earlier because it is such a misconception. Oh, the Lord never put more on you than you can handle. That is such a misquoted passage of Scripture. Of course the Lord's going to allow more on you than in handle. Why else would you cry out to Him? Come on. He's going to allow difficult things because you can't do it by yourself. Amen. You need a Father. You need a Son. You need a Holy Spirit. Yeah. To be able to, that's, that Scripture actually says He'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can be tempted by. Yeah. 
it's not he'll never put more, but we, we love to do that, especially in the Southern culture. We love to kind of make Scripture be something that it's not because it makes us feel better. It's kind of like when your grandmother said cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> Although that's a great idea, it's not a Bible verse. <laughs> I'm all for cleanliness. Don't get me wrong. But when your grandmother was, you know, if you didn't clean up because you're going to be down to hell because you broke that commandment, it's not there. Sorry, it's not there. <laughs> It's kind of like forget, uh, uh, forgiving others. We have this concept that ability to forget is based on the ability to forgive is based on the ability to forgive. You ever heard the concept? Well, I forgive you, but I can't forget what you've done to me. Well, here's the good news. Forgetting has nothing to do with forgiveness. Amen. Yeah. Nothing at all. Amen. Never has been the, been the thing. Well, how can I forgive somebody? I can't forget what they've done to me. Chances are... In, in realistic life, you're never ever going to forget what people have done to you. Ever. Unless God zaps your brain. He can do that. I'm not saying He's not going to do it. He can do that. But you're probably not going to forget it. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? But there's certain things that you've got to learn how to forgive beyond the ability to forget. Forgiveness is about how you learn how to forgive the way that God forgives you. You think He forgot about what you've done to Him? Come on. He knows every aspect of your life. Every aspect. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem right. Doesn't have to be fair. Doesn't have to be right. Just has to be just. And God is just. There's a verse in the Bible. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow. Even for me. But it says, If you do not forgive man, God will not forgive you. That verse stinks. But it's there. Jesus said it. It's red letter. He meant it. Forgiveness is possible. But that we, we've told ourselves that because God forgives us, He forgot our sins. God didn't forget our sins. He said He cast them into the sea, never to remember or recall them again. In other words, what He said is, I know exactly what you did to me, and I know where I put it. But because of the grace, the love, and the mercy, and the blood of Jesus, I just won't go dig it back up and throw it back in your face. That's how we forgive. But where the Lord started convicting me a couple years ago, He said to me, the reason you're not starting the new year well is because you're not ending the old one well. It's hard to start well if you don't finish strong. It's hard to get a good start if you don't learn how to finish, close out the one year. One of the things that happens, especially in church community, unfortunately, is we have a tendency at this time of the year to look so ahead to the next coming year that we totally forget to take care of this year. It's, I don't know what it is about us, but we just totally just blank out at times and we forget that we're called to do well this year. Now, some of you look at me and say, Ron, this is not a really good time to talk about ending well. I may not be exactly where I want to be to end well. That's why tonight I really want to focus on you as an individual. Because it is in your hand to end well. The environment around you may not be structured to end well, but who you are can end well. Amen. Amen. Your decision, your choice, your yes, or your no. That's why we're in a moment. We're going to do just everything we can to focus on you as an individual, as a son, as a daughter, 
whatever aspect of you are in life, you may be married, you may be single, you may be whatever. You may be a, a niece, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. Whatever and, and whoever you are in this moment, you're going to have an opportunity to end well to start well. Because we can't really launch into a new year if we're still holding on to the old year. If we're still holding on and looking back, there's a passage of Scripture that says the man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Which literally means if he's plowing, but he's not looking where he's going and he's looking back, his plow will get out of line. and He won't be able to put the row straight because he's looking toward the back. There's a lot of that happening. That's what happens in this, these couple of months. We have a tendency to keep looking back instead of looking forward in this moment. <clears throat> but one of the even more dangerous things, I believe, this is my opinion, nobody has to agree with me, is we get a lot of people that put their hand to the plow and then they just never look up. They know not to look back. And they never look forward. And the reason they don't look forward is because they know, I can't afford to look back. But there's that faith thing. If I look forward, I can't see where I'm going. I can't see what I'm doing. I can't progress or progress, whatever the case may be. So it's interesting passage of Scripture in John chapter 21. In this passage of Scripture, we find the disciples. Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. They've already seen Him a couple of times. Okay, They've already seen Him. He's kind of been walking around. He shows up in different places. Somewhere in the process, though, Simon Peter says... I'm going to go fishing. And he recruits some of the other disciples. Now what's interesting about this is, if you study the life of Simon Peter, he was a professional fisherman for about 35 to 38 years, is what most historians and theologians would say. So professionally, this is what he done. So then when Jesus comes on the scene, early in Matthew we see, Jesus comes on the scene, Peter's out in the boat, and he hollers out, have you caught any fish? No, we ain't caught any fish. He says, cast your net to the other side, cast your net to the other side. Then Jesus says, well, why don't y'all come with me, and I'll make you fisher of men. men. So this is, the, this is the relationship. The disciples go around with Jesus for somewhere between three to three and a half years. They see the signs, they see the wonders, they see the miracles. They hear the sermons, they hear the messages, they see Jesus do all these radical things. I mean, they were with Him every time and every opportunity, except for the time that Jesus would go and spend time with the Father alone. They were with Him. Even Peter, along with two other disciples, would get to go with Jesus a little bit further at different times. But somewhere in this neighborhood, Jesus eventually is arrested in a garden, he is taken to the whipping post. He's beaten with a cat and nine tails 39 times. They rip his flesh out. They put the crown of thorns on him. They put the robe on him. They spit on him. They drive the nails um, through his hands on the cross. They crucify him. He eventually gives up the ghost. He dies. They put, wrap him up, put him in the tomb. And somewhere in that process, eventually, Mary Magdalene comes into the scene and she goes, He's alive. Because she goes on the third day, the angels are sitting there and she, they go, What are you looking for? She goes, I'm looking for my Lord, Savior, Jesus. And the angel says, He's arisen. So she goes back to where the disciples are at that time, and she goes and says, He's alive, He's alive, He's alive, He's alive. So then the scripture says that 
Simon Peter and John take off running to where the tomb was. When they get there running, John, Peter, Simon Peter outruns John. And he goes all the way into the tomb and John just kind of looks in. Sure enough, the Bible talks about that the clothes were folded up. Even the napkin that covered him was folded up, which is something very significant, but we won't get into that. So now they know without a shadow of a doubt that he is alive. And Jesus has appeared to them two times before John chapter 21. But somewhere in that process, now Simon Peter says, I'm going to go back doing what I always did before I had an encounter with him. Come on. And most of us in this room, this will be our greatest challenge. Because we will have an encounter with the Lord and it will be so real, so tangible, so pure, so holy and righteous. And we know that we've been in the presence of God but when given the opportunity to go back and be and do what we were before the encounter, a lot of us will go back. And he's fishing. And he brings some of the other disciples. Now the Bible says that in John chapter 21 that they had been fishing all night long. And they caught absolutely nothing. Professional fishermen. Here is a hard truth that every one of us in this room have got to learn. When you have an encounter with the Lord, a genuine and a pure encounter with the Lord, and you try to go back and be and do what you did before the encounter, I don't care how successful you were beforehand, you will be a miserable failure when you try to go do it the same. Wow. <laughs> That's a word. Wow. Because of what? Is God punishing you? No. Because I'm telling you, it is. It, it, you go back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, there's a man sitting by the pool of Bethesda. He's sick. He's, he's, you know, he's dealing with issues. Jesus heals the guy, right? Okay. Jesus then looks at the man and says, don't go back doing what you did before or this will come back on you seven times worse. <laughs> there is a principle. When you have an encounter with the Lord, I'm talking about a true encounter with the Lord, and you try to go back, it's not that God's wrecking heaven and hell in your life. It is the demonic realm wrecking hell on your life. Because where you tried to be, where you were successful before the encounter, and then you try to go back and do it again, the demonic will disrupt your life. So here they are. They're pulling. They're trying to catch fish, and they've caught nothing. Nothing. Now, what's interesting in John chapter 21 <clears throat> and verse 4 says, When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, So Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a, ca a catch. So they cast... And then they were, not, and they were not able to haul it because of the great number of fish. Now, we're going to pick up Scripture in just a minute. I'm just going to stop right here. Here's another thing that we're guilty of. Every one of us. Earlier I told you that when Jesus first calls them to be disciples, they were already fishing. Simon, Peter, and some others were fishing. His brother Andrew, a couple others were fishing. 
They hadn't caught anything. From the shore, Jesus says, Hey, have you caught anything yet? No, we've not caught anything. Cast your net on the right side. They caught a ton of fish. Now, fast forward, Jesus is resurrected. Some guy standing on the shore, which is Jesus, but they don't know it at the time, goes, Hey, you caught anything yet? No. Cast your net to the right side. It seems like one of them would go, Have we heard this before? <laughs> this seems all too familiar. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit is politely knocking you upside the back of the head and saying, have you not heard this before? I'm saying this because I'm, I'm, because of the love that I have for you. I'm trying to warn you. When you go back and you try to do what you did before the encounter, there will be ways the Lord was speaking to you, but you better learn how to listen. Because He'll be saying some of the same things that He's always been saying to you. So they cast the net, they get the fish, they can't haul it in. Then, let's go back here, verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for it was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in, uh, came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, and about a hundred yards away dragging the net full of fish. So, you got to get this picture. When Simon Peter hears John, it's John the Beloved, the one that wrote the book of John, uh, St. John that wrote John 1, John 2, John 3, and even wrote Revelation. That's John, John the Beloved. John the Beloved, the Gospel of John is my favorite gospel. You are secure in your identity when you write a gospel. Never address yourself as I, John. You write an entire gospel, and every time you talk about yourself, you talk about it in the way that John did and said, the one whom he loved. I love that about John. John's like, I'm, yep, I'm the one you love. And so John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter knows it, he puts his garments back on, jumps in the, in the water, and starts swimming to get to Jesus. And I'm going to highlight that just for a minute because we're going to talk about that. But how radical and crazy is that? Because eventually the boat's going to come to the shore. But he cannot wait to be in the presence because he learns that it's the Lord. So they come to the shore, net dragging. Alright? So verse 9. So when they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land. Full, large, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, I, I, I want you to pay attention. What were they doing? Fishing, right? Not deep thought. They were fishing. What's the object of fishing? To catch fish. Now, in that time, they're not using poles. They're not using worms. They're not using cricket. They're not using artificial bait. They're literally casting nets. And they would cast these nets out, they would drag them, and they would just catch all these different types of fish and so on and so forth. The object of fishing is to catch fish. Rocket science, right? Did you notice what the Bible says? 
When Peter comes onto the shore, there is a charcoal fire already burning and a fish on it. What they had been working so hard for, he already had being prepared for them. I'm saying this because there are things in our lives that we are working so hard for, but I promise you, he's already got it for you. He's already prepared it for you. Not only has he prepared it for you, how is it being prepared? By fire. Come on. Scripture says he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There are things in your life that God will allow you to work for. God let Peter and the disciples go fishing. And God will let you work and bust your rear end for nothing. Or you can learn to dwell in His presence and get the thing in which He has already prepared for you where you don't work so hard and He's already got it. But it comes back to that faith and trust. How crazy that they were working for the fish and He's already got one. Like, I'm just going to be honest about it. At what point did Peter not look and go, why do I need to bring the fish? You already got it. But then Jesus said, I know you work for it, so I'm going to honor it. I'm going to let you bring it up here. But I want you to catch something in this. I want you to really catch something. This verse right here. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already had a fish placed on it. And, that verse don't end with the fish being placed on it. And, bread. Come on. Where'd the bread come from? <laughs> I mean, we'd sit here and know where the fish come from because he wasn't fishing. But where'd the bread come from? I don't care how long Peter and the disciples would have been out there fishing on that long, they weren't going to catch a loaf of bread. <laughs> But Jesus has got them the thing being prepared. And not only has He got them the thing being prepared, He's got more than what they were prepared for. There was an abundance to it that they hadn't even asked for, yet He had already prepared it for them. Fish and bread being prepared, and they didn't even ask for it. This is what Jesus is wanting to do for you. Amen, brother. This is the reality of what I, 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 I'm trying to get everybody to understand. We talk about the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? We can all testify to that in some aspect. Right? The enemy loves to come steal, kill, and destroy. The scripture says that Jesus came that you might have life and more abundantly. There's your bread. Come on. That's more abundantly. See, a lot of times... Whatever we've been through, whatever we've lacked, whatever has got us out of spiral and where we're at in the certain circumstance right now, 
we find things that have been taken away from us. But all of a sudden, we have an encounter with Jesus. We have a true revelation of who the Father is, the Son is, and the Holy Spirit. Now, all of a sudden, we have this love that enwraps us. And we go, I've never had this before. And then in the midst of all of a sudden knowing that I am loved by the Father, we turn around and realize that we've been granted mercy by those that we once criticized or made fun of or whatever the case may be. And you go, I didn't even ask for mercy. I didn't ask you to love me. I didn't ask you to take me in. I didn't ask you to try to help me. But see, you got the fish and now you're getting the bread. Amen. There is something that happens when we determine to literally learn how to jump out of boats. Hallelujah. Hmm. I like Simon Peter. Now, my favorite gospel is John. That's my favorite gospel. I like John's blood. I, I like the way it writes. I love the gospel of John. I'm a big fan of read the gospel of John as much as you can. Big fan of it. But I like Simon Peter because I'm just going to be honest with you. There's a side of me sometimes that I feel like I would cut your ear off if given the opportunity. <laughs> just being honest. And the only reason I got your ear is because you went this way when I was going for your throat. <laughs> just being real. Because there's just something about the toughness and the ruggedness of Simon Peter. But Simon Peter was a boat jumper. The one passage of Scripture says that when they, the disciples were sent into the boat, they were going to the other side. Jesus was in the bottom of the boat. He was asleep. Storm came. They panicked because they thought they were going to die. They go wake Jesus up. Jesus must have been having a good nap. Because he was angry with him. But he did not see him. But he got up there, he rebuked the storm, and then turned around and rebuked them. If you know your Bible, he rebuked them for not having faith. There's that word again. Come on, brother. Then the disciples, lesson again, the disciples, another time Jesus says, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. But this time Jesus says, I'm not getting in the boat, I'm going up to the mountain to pray. Now, if I'd been one of the disciples, I'm just knowing who I am, I'd be like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Last time you told us to get in the boat, storm came, I panicked, you rebuked me. I ain't getting in the boat again. Especially without you. But they get in the boat. What happens? Storm comes. They panic again. They think they're going to die. All of a sudden, Jesus appears walking on the water. In the Scripture, John the Beloved leans over to Simon Peter and says, it's the Lord. Simon Peter then says, Lord, is that you? If it is, tell me to come. All Jesus says is come. Simon Peter gets out of the boat in the midst of a storm and starts walking on water. Yes, sir. Now we read that scripture. We, we hear these sermons. I know you've probably heard them here in Kentucky where people talk about he had the faith to walk on water and this and that and everything. So, and so. Listen, it, we make that too complicated. Because we say, I'm not called to walk on water. I don't think anybody's called to walk on water. You're not called to walk on water. You're not called to be that whole high, holy, and mighty. You ain't that good. That's not what the goal is. Amen. Peter wasn't called to walk on the water. But when he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And when Jesus said, come, the water became the substance in which got him to the presence. Because Peter didn't answer the call to walk on the water. He answered the call to walk on the Word. Amen. Come. 
Simon Peter says, I'm not staying here with you turkeys. And he gets out of the boat and he goes to Jesus. I know that he sunk. And I know that Jesus reached out his hand and picked him up. And here these sermons come. Oh, he looked at the circumstances and had, you know, he looked at the storm and he began to sink. And I'm not disqualified on sermons, don't get me wrong. But I'm like, we do realize he got out of the boat while the other 11 chose to remain in the place where they thought they were going to die. At some point in your life, you can't remain in the place where you think you're going to die. You have to learn how to get out of the boat in order to get Because we can't see. Mm -hmm. But if we learn his voice, 
-hmm. We can follow him anywhere. Amen. If we learn the way that he walks, we can follow him anywhere. Amen. What's interesting about this is when the blind men follow into the house, there's an aspect of every house to this day. If you go out that door right there, right there at the bottom, there's what they call a threshold. Everybody familiar with a threshold at the door right there? Okay, the way that came to be is back really in the days of David and before, uh, when homes were constructed, they, they didn't have a lot, many places didn't have like doors that opened close in our way. Some did, others didn't and stuff, but regardless of where it was, there at the entrance of the house, a lot of times they had a place known as a threshing floor. And what they would do is they would take the wheat and they would thresh the wheat against it and it would separate the fruit of the wheat, the seed of the wheat and stuff and everything. And that was the threshing floor. And so what happened is that threshing floor became the entrance of a home. Now, I just want to ask this question. If somebody just walked up into your home uninvited and you didn't know them, how are you going to be? So even in every custom, no matter what country you go to, it's just customary to know the people and say, hey, can I come into your house? But again, two blind men don't even ask if I can come in. They just follow him. See, our relationship with Christ sometimes will carry you to places that you can't recognize. Come on. But you're going to have to cross some areas that you never anticipated before. Amen, brother. The two blind men, if they'd have known that they were fixing to go through a threshing floor or a threshold, I'm sure they would have asked permission. But they didn't know it because all they were doing was following his voice or following his footsteps. Simon Peter wasn't intimidated that there was water between him and Jesus. He just knew, i got to get there. Amen. Come on, brother. In both cases. If i got to walk on the water, I'll walk on the water. If not, I will swim to the shore. Because i got to get from this point to get to there. If you're going to end 2019 well, there's some decisions that you've got to make. Now, let me do something really, really quick. And then we're going to do something else so nobody panic. <laughs> All right. I'll put this right here. Everybody here. Everybody can see this. Everybody say that. Hey, since you're here. Stop. <laughs> Since you're here, I'm going to use Okay. What I want you to do is I want you to try to pick that chair up. Try to pick it up. Okay, set it down. Try to pick the chair up. <laughs> try to pick it up. No, 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 set it down. Try to pick that chair up. <laughs> Okay. We don't ever think about it. But I'm going to tell you this little thing, and I hope you all remember this for the rest of your life. I can't tell you the people that I have tried to help before. When I, see, I use that word try. But actually helped people. I have dealt with people, husbands and wives, for example, that would say, we're trying to work on our marriage. Come on. And I've asked, what are you doing? And you find out a lot of times when people say they're trying, they're often not actually doing anything. That's right. 
When I asked him to try to pick up the chair, what did he do? He picked it up. He didn't try. He just did it. You can't try to pick the chair up. You either pick it up or you don't. So if you look at me and you say, I'm trying to live for the Lord, you're either doing it or you're not. There is no trying. I'm trying to work on my marriage. What are you doing? I'm trying to work on kicking my addiction. What are you actually doing? Come on. I mean, I'm not trying to. I, there we go. I said it. I'm not purposely condemning anybody in this room, but if, if I'm, if I'm just going to use something a lot of people often struggle with is like cigarettes. A lot of times, people struggle with cigarettes. A lot of times, and I've heard people so many times. Help me quit smoking. I prayed and asked God, and then I will ask them, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm just trying to beat it. You know, I'm trying to beat it. Well, when you run out of this pack, you go buy another pack? Well, yeah, because I'm trying to quit. <laughs> See, you're not actually trying. What you're doing is enabling yourself to continue that, but you're calling it trying. You can tell me tonight that you're trying to end well. You will either end well or you won't. It's just, it's just the reality of where we're at. You can say, Lord, I want to serve you. And you can try to serve him. But I promise you, you will fail trying to serve him. But when you truly commit to him and actually serve him, you won't fail as often. I'm not saying you won't ever make a mistake. I'm saying you won't fail as often as you think you're going to. Amen, brother. Because there's a vast difference between actually doing something versus actually trying. You can't try to pick the chair up, but you can go pick it up. These are just hardcore realities. In saying all that, I've shared all this scripture because one of the things I want to do in just a moment, I brought this Blue painter's tape. Help me out here in a second, bro. Take that. There. Let's come right here. Come right here. I want you to start right here. And let's put it right here with the ground. Alright. I got blue painter tape, so I won't stick to the carpet. Nobody panic. What is this country kick doing? Nobody panic. I've done this before. <clears throat> you remember when you was in school and you were going to get in a fight? Nobody ever got a fight in your office. Guy was mouthing off. Girl was mouthing off. What would you do as a little kid? I tell you what. You cross this line, you see what happens. They cross the line, what would you do? You cross this line, and I tell you what happened. You kept, you kept drawing lines all the time. Now somebody's going, I'm big and bad, and I've never done that. Okay. But nevertheless, we always said if you cross this line, things are going to change. Right? Because if you cross this line, I know that you mean it, and I'm going to mean it too. Right? When the blind men followed Jesus, they didn't know they were crossing the line. Ooh, come on. But they did. Because they were going after his presence. 
When Simon Peter jumped out of the boat to walk on the word, he was crossing every line that could possibly be imagined. And when he went back and tried to do what he always done, and yet there it is in John chapter 21, and, and John says, it's the Lord. He crossed another line. And he said, I'm going after the presence. And from this time on, Simon Peter was never the same after this time. There's times in your life that you will miss it from time to time. But if you're willing to learn how to cross a few lines, I believe the Lord will radically transform your life. Amen. So here's what's going to happen. I believe tonight, as we're drawing in on the tail end of 2019, and we're fixing, I mean, we are days away from 2020. Now, for a lot of us in this room, there's been a lot of New Year's Eve we can't remember. Because we did some stupid stuff. Come on, brother. And sometimes I think the fact we can't remember them is not necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of times, even though we feel bad in the moment, God's protecting us from a lot of garbage a lot of times. But nevertheless, I want to give you an opportunity to end well, to launch into 2020 the right way. Here's what I mean. First of all, I don't care who you are, what your story, what your life is, what your circumstance is, regardless of where you're at in life. Who's abandoned you, who's hurt you, who molested you, who abused you, who lied to you, who manipulated you, who deceived you, who stole from you, who did all kinds of ungodly things to you. The same God Come on. that sent his son to die for me, or Shay, or Paul, or anyone else in this room is the same God that sent his son to die for you. Love. Contrary to popular belief, love is an action word. We have this tendency in our culture right now not to say anything and call it love. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to offend anybody. I just want to love people. Well, love is not silent. For God so loved the world that He gave. See, God's love, He gave something. And He gave you His Son the request for you is you give Him your life. It is an equal exchange for love. You recognize it is love. But you have to truly surrender. I'm not talking about signing the card, bowing your head, raising your hand, and kind of going through the motions. I'm talking about being truly born again. Now, I'm one of, I'm, I'm, I'm one of these people to be brutally honest with you. You will be born again and wake up in the morning and if your foot hurts tonight, it may still hurt in the morning. <laughs> you don't wake up in the morning after salvation and all of a sudden bluebirds are flying over your head and you smell daffodils and sunflowers and all of a sudden you just hear these. That don't happen for everybody. Amen. Come on, brother. Amen. Sometimes the hell that you're in you wake up the next day, that hell is still trying to consume you, but the difference is it can't overpower you now because you're a new creation. But the greatest thing that could possibly happen in 2019 is you taking the first step and saying yes to the Lord. Come on. I'm talking about true salvation. 
That you actually say yes. Not going through the motions, not making everybody the person to the right left me happy. I think a lot of times we've done things in the church world to make everybody happy because we want everybody happy, but we haven't yet to experience joy. Joy is something that belongs to the Lord and through the Holy Spirit. But if you've never experienced it, often you haven't experienced it because you've yet to experience Him as Savior. I'm just being honest. I'm being real about that. Because I've met those people. Have you ever seen those people that are mad and bitter and they go to church and they talk about how long they've been saved? They need to tell their face. Because they're, 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 how can you be that miserable and be born again? I mean, just I mean, in all honesty, how can you be that mad because somebody sat in your seat? I, I just honestly, I, if somebody knew to come to church and they sat in my seat, why can't I rejoice that somebody knew was there?
I can't take stupidity very seriously, so I just I like to poke back at people. Amen. I do like to poke the bear. I'm just being honest. Amen. If you're going to be that crazy over stuff, I'm going to be kind of crazy back. Come on. I mean, it's, some of this stuff's ridiculous. But this is a reality. In a moment, you're going to ask that. Then the next thing is, I'm going to ask Shay and some of her leaders. I'm going to ask my wife to come up in a moment. And we're going to form this kind of a line. And listen, 